0: so much fun so much fun and uh it's incredible what god did and what he does and it's been fun we've been uh doing that this weekend again uh some of you uh last weekend asked if you could be baptized this weekend and of course the answer to that is yes and so um the, uh, the, the water's out again, and uh, if that's you at the uh, I'll, I'll tell you when at the end of this incredible sermon that's going to blow your mind uh, what to do, and then if God is putting that on your heart, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and, uh, and you've never followed that directive to be baptized, you can do that, and that's what people were doing last week, and they just came up in their normal clothes. It's warm outside, maybe that's why, uh, but they just went home wet. Yeah, uh, but they were like, "I have to do this. I have to do that." Now God called on me or drew me to do it, and so it was—it was a blast. We were—we're uh, <clears throat> we were talking about just how that's—that kind of thing is happening all over the place. I, I was uh, yesterday. I was reading the the news off one of the major news sites, and and they had a headline on one like national news site, like pastor baptizes 160, 160 people in one weekend. And that stuff is just happening all over the place. If you Google like baptism or spiritual movement, you'll, you'll see it, it'll pop kind of up right at the top of the page. And, and we talked about last week weekend how I think the reason that's happening is because our world is dark, and because it's full of confusion and disruption and, and pain and evil. And whenever things are the darkest is when the light stands in the most contrast to that, and that's what I see. As, as our world pulls away from the things of the Lord, the Lord is stirring among people because there's this void that happens. Uh, people are searching for things. When things stand in contrast, it's really hard to, to stand in gray spaces suddenly. and You realize that I'm searching for something. That something is the person of Jesus Christ. And he's making more sense in big ways to people all over the world, not just, like, not just here at Grace Church, but all over the world. And it's a powerful and wonderful time to, to be a part of it. And I don't understand it all, don't really <clears throat> want to, I just want in on the action. You know, I want to know what God's doing, and I want to see him change lives. And, and I, want to, uh, I want him to do that, of course, here as well, and, and he is. And so we talked about that a lot last week and uh, we started this series called Here With Me and, and uh, our goal is just to help you see in a different and powerful way that Jesus is here and he's with you and he interacts with you on a, on a personal level and that can be life changing for you if you'll, if you'll kind of allow that to, uh, to happen. Um, when you think about all that, and in the context of Christmas, we've kind of been wrestling with this idea a little bit of, like, why did Jesus come in the flesh at Christmas? So the fancy word for that is incarnate or incarnation. That's what it means in that, that song when it says incarnate deity. It means uh, G, it means God was skin on. Is all that it means. And Jesus stepped out, came into the human experience, and we said the reason that he has done that is so that we can understand him. God and who he is and what He's like is way too huge of a concept uh, for our limited minds to kind of get around who he is, an eternal God, a creator God, all those kind of things. So God allowed his son Jesus to come and he came into the human context. And by doing that, we're able to see him and understand what he's teaching us in a different way. So we can see that he's God because he does things in his humanity that only God could do because he's fully God and fully human. So when Jesus walks on water or he feeds 5,000 with some kid's lunch or he raises somebody from the dead, we can quickly understand that he's not us, that he's different than us. But when he interacts in his humanity, when he's tired, when he's tempted, when he's hungry, when he's hurt, we understand what that means in our humanity. And so it allows us to kind of understand who God is and what he's like. And Jesus said, that's why I've come. I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. When you see me, you see the Father. You, you, are, you are able to understand that I am God and who my Father is by, by the fact that I showed up in this context. And so that's why Jesus comes at christmas that's why he's born of a virgin that's why he lives life as in our humanity that's why he taught using references that we would understand in the context of our humanity and when he suffered we understand that that was an act of love and when he rose again we understand that that was an act of his deity or his power and so all of that like kicks off at Christmas and all of that is what God gives to us and, and allows us to, uh, to understand. It's kinda like Christmas gifts, so to say, from God. Now this weekend I wanna show you some of those things and, <clears throat> and I wanna talk about three like, big things that Jesus does for us and, and to help us understand him and to help us know that he can show up in our personal lives. And so he does these big things like on a huge level but this is also how we wind up interacting with God. So the, God gives us these three powerful things and they affect us and change us and let us know his heart and mind. I just wanna walk you through them real quick. The first powerful thing that he gives us, or you could call it a Christmas gift if we wanna go with that. But the first of the three powerful things he gives us is the, he gives us clarity. He gives us clarity. One of the things that Jesus does when he comes at Christmas And the way he comes at Christmas is he helps humanity know that he is the promised Messiah and that only he could be that. So when Jesus first came, the Bible says he came to his own. So Jesus was an ancient Jewish person. He showed up in the Jewish context or the chosen people of Israel. And he came to his own. And when he was born people who were raised Jewish, who studied Judaism, when he was born in the circumstances around his birth, were able to clearly identify that that was the promised Messiah. So back in the Old Testament, which would have been the scriptures that the ancient Jewish people had, where they were learning about God and learning how to interact with God and learning to look for this promised Messiah, there's a thing in those Old Testaments that we call the prophecies, where God says, when you see these sayings, you'll know that this is the Christ. So for instance, Isaiah chapter 7 The prophet Isaiah said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel. That prophecy was given 700 years before Jesus was born. So if you were an ancient Jewish person, you grew up, we would say, studying the Old Testament or studying the Bible, you knew to look for that And when you saw that, it would provide extreme clarity that when that played out, when you saw a baby be born of a virgin who was named Emmanuel, which means God with us, when you see that, that's the Messiah, extreme clarity. Uh, Micah chapter five, but you Bethlehem, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will rule over Israel whose origins are from of old and from ancient times. So 800 years before Jesus was born, the prophets were like, look for this place called Bethlehem. This little dot on the map, the Doyle's town of the ancient world. Like, look, <clears throat> look for this place called Bethlehem, and something great is going to come out of Bethlehem. So the scholars and the people who are faithful to God are now constructing a picture. We're going to look for a child born of a virgin named Emmanuel that comes from Bethlehem. We know what to zero in on. And so when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it provides extreme clarity to who he is. Hosea chapter 11 verse one. When, a, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That's written 800 years before Jesus was born. And after Jesus was born, there was a, a ruler named Herod, a Roman official, found out that the king of the Jews was born. He found that out from the wise men who were studying these prophecies and knew what to look for. The king of the Jews was gonna be born. That threatened Herod, so he committed an infanticide and killed all male children under a certain age. An angel came to Mary and Joseph and said, hey, you guys need to run. So Mary, Joseph, and Jesus went to Egypt for a time, to get away from that infanticide. So when Jesus, Mary, and Joseph came back to Israel after Herod was off the scene, they were coming out of Egypt to Israel. So these are all clues, and there's tons of these, over 300 of these prophecies. I'm not gonna go through them all today. But what God gave to the ancient Jewish people, and he gives it to us, 700 years, 800 years, he's like, look for, the birth from a virgin, Bethlehem, the kid that comes back from Egypt, extreme clarity, when you see that, the statistical probability is going to be that it's one person. And when you see that one person, that is the promised Messiah. Then after Jesus came, he gave this clarity himself. He's like, I am that person. So he's talking to his disciples one time, A bunch of people before this are like, I don't know, maybe he's a prophet, maybe he's a teacher, maybe he's this guy reincarnated. So Jesus and his group is sitting around talking about that and so Jesus asked them, but who who do you say that I am? They say all this stuff, what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven revealed this to you you did not learn this from any human being. So Jesus is like, who do you say that I am? Peter's like, you're the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus is like, you are absolutely right. And when you look at Jesus' teachings, he is extremely clear. There is no name under heaven by which a man can be saved, he says. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I'm the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me, Jesus says. He says, if you see me, you see the Father. When you look at me, you're looking at God. And when you see me, you see the Father. He's extremely clear about who he is, what he is, and even why he came to be with us. So it's a gift. We don't have to wonder about what Jesus thought about himself or who he said that he was. He was never confusing. It wasn't Nostradamus stuff where it's like, in the future there will be a day when the sun will rise. Like, he, he was extremely clear. The prophecies are extremely clear. And it's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a powerful gift that God gives us clarity about who he is. Now the second gift that he gives us is equally powerful, he gives us the the gift of clarity, but he also gives us the gift of choice. He gives us the gift of choice. So Jesus makes it extremely clear who he is, and then he says, and if you want to follow me, you can. So back in Matthew chapter 16, same conversation, he kinda leans into that. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower if you want to if you want to be my follower you must give up your own way of life take up your cross and follow me if you try to hang on to your life you'll lose it but if you give up your life for my sake you'll save it and what what uh, and what and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul is anything worth more than your Soul. So Jesus makes extreme clarity, the Bible, the Old Testament, the whole deal, extreme clarity about who he is, and then he gives us choice. So Jesus doesn't walk around and, like, touch you on the forehead with an infinity stone, and now you have to, like, zombie-like follow him. He's like, if you want this, you can have this. If you don't want this, you don't have to take it. If you want this, you will gain your soul. You'll have salvation. If you don't want this, then you can keep the life that you have if you want it, but you're gonna lose this. You're making a choice. And you can choose this way or you can choose the other way and, it, and it's, it's up to you. And that, those two things show up in our lives. This clarity and this choice shows up in our lives and it shows up in people's lives all through the, the Bible. This is the pattern that you would see. So if you just want to look at Christmas, look at like Mary and Joseph. So an angel comes to Mary and he's like, hey Mary, uh, a miracle is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to allow you to conceive even though you're a virgin and you're going to give birth to the Son of God and you're going to name him this, and this is who he's going to be, that is extreme clarity. Extreme clarity. Well, then the reason that we respect Mary, Mary's not like Jesus, and she's not a saint, but she is a wonderful follower of God. And the reason that we respect Mary is because of the choice that she made. So she made a choice. When you keep reading her story, she has a thing, we call it Mary's song, where she's praising God. She's like, thank you that this happened in my life and thank, I am so blessed and I am so chosen. I can't believe that I get to be the one to, to carry and give birth to the son of God, right? And she made a choice to embrace the clarity that God brought her. The same thing happened with Joseph. An angel showed up to Joseph and he's like, Joseph, listen, bro, um, we gotta talk. There's a situation with Mary you should know about. Like, she's pregnant. And the Bible says Joseph was a righteous man. And so Joseph's like, I know I didn't get her pregnant. And I'm not sure what to do. The Bible says he, he wrestled with whether he should divorce her or not. He's like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, should I, should I cast her out? And the angel's like, don't do that. That's not what God wants you to do. And so Joseph, extreme clarity. And then he made a choice. And he went and cared for Mary, went through all the public shame that would have come from an out-of-wedlock pregnancy in the ancient world. All the attack on his reputation. I'm a righteous man, but I got my fiance pregnant. That's what everybody was saying. Because, you know, the whole virgin birth thing is hard to get your head around. But he, he chose to embrace the extreme clarity that God gave him. And he chose to embrace this role of being Jesus' earthly father. Joseph is the one who gathered his family up, including Jesus, and went to Egypt to protect him and then brought him back. You see this same clarity and choice with Herod. So the wise men, the wi- Herod's the, the guy that the wise men stopped at. and So he sh- they come up they had this extreme clarity. They're like, we've been studying these old ancient writings. There's this place called Bethlehem, can't find it. There's a a star, when that arrives, there's gonna be a king of the Jews is born. All this is in the prophecies. They follow that, they show up to Herod, and they're like, guess what we discovered? They told Herod that the king of the Jews is gonna be born. This miracle that has happened, that's been being prophesied about forever, Herod had extreme clarity, and instead of receiving it, worshiping, embracing Jesus like other people did, he hardened his heart, hardened his mind, and committed infanticide. So this shows up like this again and again and again. It's the same process that God brings about extreme clarity, and he leaves us with a choice. There's another guy in the Bible that's a fascinating guy. He's in Matthew chapter 19, and the Bible calls him the rich young ruler, and that he's faced with the same thing. So the rich young ruler is fascinating, he has extreme clarity about who Jesus is. So he comes to Jesus, and he talks to him or interacts with him like he's God, and he says to him, can you tell me how to have eternal life? And Jesus basically looks at him and says, you would only ask me that if you, if you knew I was God. So he's like, what do I have to do to have eternal life? He had extreme clarity about who Christ was. He probably heard some of Jesus' teachings. He might have seen some of Jesus' miracles. And he had people around him who were like, we're in on this Jesus guy, we studied the Old Testament, we know that he's the promised Messiah. All the math works. So this rich young ruler has all of that in his head And he looks at Jesus, decides for himself that Jesus is the one who would lead him to eternal life. So he shows up and he asks him about this eternal life. And Jesus says, listen, you can have this eternal life, but in order for you to have it, in order for you to have it, you have to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, And the Bible says when the rich young ruler heard that answer, he went away very sad because he had many possessions. He had this clarity about who Christ was. He wanted what Christ was able to offer him. But when he found out or when he was given the choice of losing his life in order to gain his soul... He decided to hang on to his life. Now, I'll be honest with you, I see this happen all the time, all the time. So I see folks who have extreme clarity in their life. Many of us grew up going to church, many of us grew up going to church. And so when we talk about Christmas, or we talk about the rich young ruler, we're like, I know that guy, I know that story, I know how that one ends. Uh, we talk about Easter, you're like, he raises again, ha <laughs> like, we, we ha. We know the answers to all those questions. We grew up going to church, and so we, we, we're very familiar with what I'm even talking about here. Many people grew up going to church, and they're well studied in the Bible, so they, they, you, you might know the Bible really well. Like you, you did Bible quizzing growing up, or you, did, you got a, a sucker in Sunday school because you memorized a verse, or you've sat in like a Bible teaching church or read spiritual books, and you have your head around Bible things. And then many of us not only have those two things, but we also grew up around legit people. Like you would look and say, like my... My grandma really was a faithful follower of Jesus. She's the one that drug me to church all the time. Like my fam, it was important to my dad. You know, he's got issues like all dads do. But it was important to him and he did care about his relationship. My roommates, the one especially, was really devoted to following Jesus. They would never go and... So we grew up in church, we grew up knowing the Bible, and and we, we grew up with legit people. And we would kind of be like the rich young ruler. We would look at our lives and we'd say, something's missing, something's not quite there. I know it's found in Jesus. What do I need to grab hold of it? And we're given a choice. Now, I'll be honest with you, I have a radar for people like us, because that's who I was. That's who I was for the first part of my life. I was that guy who had extreme clarity. I went to church four times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then something else. And I actually went to a church, I went to a church that I would never want to duplicate the way that they did church but they did teach us the Bible. They kind of yelled the Bible at us, but we did at least learn the Bible. I knew that part. I grew up, my dad, it was very important to my dad that we have a, a Christian education. So I started, I went to Christian school all the way through college. So I started to formally study the Bible when I was six at Bible classes and then we had to memorize Bible verses every week, recite them to our teacher, and we would get graded on them. I did that all the way through high school, and then I had to go to a Christian college if dad was gonna help me pay for it. So I had all of this church, all of this Bible. By the time I was a sophomore in college, I probably knew the Bible better than 95% of people on the planet all of this Bible information, and then I grew up with legit people. My parents were not perfect, but they were legit. Like they were not faking their walk with God. My church was far from perfect, but the people there were sincere. They, were sincere. they weren't faking it. I even had friends that were devoted. So I don't, I don't have a bunch of parenting wounds, I don't have a bunch of church hurt. If you tried to come to my church, I grew up in, you would have church hurt. But because I was born into it, I would not have church hurt. And then I didn't grow up in hypocrisy, where dad was singing a hymn, you know, on Sunday and then f-bombing us on Tuesday. I didn't grow up. I never. My father lived till he was 74 years old. I never heard him say a curse word his whole life. So that's how I grew up. I had extreme clarity and then I had a choice because God doesn't make you be a zombie and the choice I made was to harden my heart and close my mind and not follow Christ. Everything that I needed and choosing to reject it. I was the rich young ruler, right? I was, I was rich on global standards. I was young, I had influence, so I was a ruler, and then I also had a, a high degree of sex appeal. So I kind of had it all, right? And so the rich young ruler, when the rich young, I'm that guy, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, I'm rich, I'm young, I'm a ruler, everybody would look at my life and wish that it was theirs. Everybody would look at my family and wish that it was theirs. Everybody would look at their opportunities and wish it was theirs. But when I go to bed at night, when I finally put the phone down and I can think instead of be distracted and drugged by my phone, when I think about my life and I think about my heart, I know that something's missing and that I'm incomplete. And I know that the life that you wish you had, I kind of wish that I didn't. I know that I'm surrounded by people, but they kind of use me, so I'm really lonely on the inside. I know that I have all of this power, but deep down, I'm wildly insecure and full of anxiety. So I'm missing something. That something seems to be in you, Jesus. And he goes to Jesus, can you give me that something? Can you tell me what to do to have eternal life? And what Jesus does is he faces the rich young ruler with a choice. And basically he says to them, hey bud, if you want all of me, you have to surrender all of you. So you have to understand that. If you want all of me, you have to surrender all of you. You don't like all of you, which is fine. You know that something's missing, but if you want all of me, you have to give up all of you if you if you try to hang on to your life you're going to lose it but here's your choice if you give up your life for my sake you'll save it and what's it benefit you if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul is anything worth more than your soul so the rich young ruler now is in this place of choice and he's looking at Jesus and he's saying, I would, I would like, I really would like what you have, but I'm, I'm really attached to what I've got. Can we somehow morph these two things together? Can I have all of this and have all of this simultaneously? And Jesus is like, um, no, no, it's a choice. The only way to get all of this is if you give up all of this. Because I know that in you there's something that you worship more than me. There's something in your heart and something in your life in which you have placed your trust, you've placed your affection, you've placed your security, you've placed your, your, your personage, your identity, and I know that as long as you're holding on to aspects of your life, especially the deep ones, that you'll never receive the life that I want to give you. So you have to give all of you in order to gain all of me. And the rich young ruler is just absolutely torn by this. Because he's rich, he's young, he's a ruler, but he doesn't necessarily like his life. And he knows he's real worried about his heart. So he says, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, well, what you have to do, because he he can see right through this guy, and he knows what he worships more than Christ, and he's like, "The, the, the God, the other God in your life, bro, is your money. So what you have to do is you have to give up your money because you find security in your money, you find value in your money, you put trust in your money and, 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 and you f- have your identity in being the rich, the young, and the ruler. So what you have to do, what you have to lose in order to gain me is your money. So this is what you need to do. You got to make a decision. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then you can come follow me. And the Bible says, the rich young ruler walked away sad because he had many possessions. And Jesus looked at him and said, hey man, is there anything worth more than your soul? Because you're gonna, if you, it, it, you're gonna gain the world but lose your soul. All of this is going away. None of this enters eternity with you. Nobody is rich after they die. And you're hanging on to this, but you want this. But the faith and the trust and the belief that you long for only comes by losing your life. Is anything worth more than your soul? And the rich young ruler looks at Jesus and says, yes, my money's worth more than my soul. He walked away sad. And this is the the exact same thing that shows up in our lives. I don't like my life. I'm unsure of my life. My life feels incomplete. I really don't know about my spiritual life. But I'm in, I built a life. Is there a way, Jesus, is there a way, is there a way that we could like, bring that over here and Jesus is like no but you can bring yourself over here you just have to let go of this I'm not doing that is anything worth more than your soul yeah actually my identity is worth more than my soul I I would rather define who I am and make sure that you know that definition than to allow myself to be fully defined by you. My security is worth more than my soul. I would rather have some version of the American dream than than have eternal riches in heaven. I'll sell my soul for that. my image or my brand is worth more than my soul. People see me a certain way. People have always thought, I mean, I've grown up in this church my whole life. And the idea that I would have to be vulnerable or show myself, or I, I'd rather just hang on to this. And whatever, whatever version of the money is you, for the rich young ruler, it was the money. For you, it's... Jesus would look and say, this thing that you're holding on to is the thing that's keeping you from engaging the life that you long for so deeply. And that's why there's a duplicity. And that's why there's a church you and an at-home you and a work you and a church you. and Because... If you try to hang on to your life, you lose it. Now, if you want to follow me, it's up to you, it's your choice. You can set all that aside. You can embrace who I am. I will embrace you. You pick up your cross and you follow me. And it's a tough choice. And what Jesus says to the rich young ruler, what he says to all of us is he says this, if you're, if you're not all in, you're actually all out. Well, I, ha- I have extreme clarity. And Jesus, in a loving way, as a friend, would look at you and say, yeah, the demons have extreme clarity. I have extreme clarity. Yeah, like Satan has extreme clarity. I have extreme clarity. Yeah, like every false teacher ever has extreme clarity. What about your choice? What about the choice? To go over here scares me. I don't like this life, but I know how to function in it. Go over here scares me, because I, when, I, when I'm finally quiet at night, right before I fall asleep, I think about my soul, but if it gets overwhelming, I just start scrolling again. Come over here, takes faith, and you know my anxiety, and my fear, and my trust issues. Was well, is anything worth your soul? Kind of all that is, but I have extreme clarity. Jesus came to give, us, to give us these powerful gifts. He came and he gives us clarity. I mean, hundreds of years and now thousands looking back. He gives us choice. Jesus wants us to love him and follow him. That's the big deal. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Love requires choice, you cannot mandate love. You have to be willing to choose it, which means you have to be able to reject it. So he gives us choice, and then here's the third gift, and it, it doesn't feel like a gift at first. He gives us clarity, he gives us choice, and the third thing he gives us then is crisis. See, if I have clarity, and I know fully who Christ is, why he came, and what he says to me, and I've been given choice. I know exactly what Christ would ask me to do, what it means to lose my life, to gain my soul. Well, once I have clarity and once I have choice, now I got a problem, because now I know. Now I know. And when I have a crisis of faith, do I lose my life and accept what Christ came to give me? Or do I reject what Christ came to give me and gain the world? Once that crisis is in my life, that crisis must be satisfied you will give an answer to that crisis because you'll either accept what Christ gave you or you'll reject it, and interacting with what Christ gave you with passivity is rejecting it because actually, if you're not all in, you're actually all out. So now I got a crisis. And that crisis is not a condemning crisis because Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's his words in John 3, 17. It's not a condemning crisis. It's a crisis that causes me to wrestle through the value of my soul and whether or not I will choose to follow Jesus. My crisis happened when I was a junior in college. I was living in Philadelphia, and I was working out there in the summertime, And I had it all. I had, uh, I grew up in church. I had extreme clarity. I knew the Bible better than most people on the planet. And I actually was surrounded by friends who loved Jesus. And I was living out in Philly, working there in the summertime. And I was invited to a Bible study over the course of the summertime. I went because there was a girl that I liked. I knew I could impress her with Jesus words. And so, um, and, you know, the sex appeal. And so, like, I, I went to this Bible study, and I'm now surrounded by legit people, completely legit people, and I'm watching them legitimately follow Jesus. I'm watching them pray. I had never prayed as to not impress someone. I had never heard someone just pour their heart out. I'm watching them apply in radical things, like we're gonna love difficult people. I was like, I thought love was like something you put on a Christmas card. You guys like get in the mess with things. So like all of this was real to me. I was surrounded by legit people. And one night, God brought me to a point of a crisis. When I have a crisis, I need to be by myself. I'm, I'm not a process it with other people person. And so I will get away by myself. And so I was living like in a dorm situation there. The only way for me to get away by myself was to go to a park. So I went to this park that I uh, like ran in and worked out in and it it was a big like track and in the middle was a soccer field. And so I went out there probably one o'clock in the morning and I just went in the middle of the soccer field to sit down, have my Bible with me and I realized I gotta figure out what I'm doing. I'm the rich young ruler. I gotta figure out what I'm doing. I'm thumbing through my Bible and I come across the passage of Jesus walking on water. And this is my thought process. This is how my brain works. That my brain works like this. I thought to myself, if Jesus walked on water, then he's God. Because that's something only God could do. Extreme clarity. If he walked on water, then he's God. If he didn't walk on water, then this whole thing is ridiculous. The whole thing. Virgin birth, give me a break. Healing people, raising them from the dead, I'm the way, the truth, and life. It's all ridiculous. And I was given a choice and I'm like, that's kind of, if you boil it down, that's the choice. Like this stuff really happened And he's, God, if it didn't happen, then it's ridiculous, and the government and the church is controlling us, and all those kind of things. This was before COVID, and I was thinking that way. And so I'm, like, going through this whole thing, and I'm, like, what in the world is happening? All these things are running through my mind. It's, like, it's one big conspiracy theory, that kind of a thing. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, if it's fake, I need to walk away from it and I probably should get other people out. If it's real, then he's God, and I actually have no other choice but to yield my life to God. He's God, I'm not. And when God brought that choice into my mind, now I'm in a crisis. See, you can't walk away from that. So now I'm in a crisis. And I had to decide what I was gonna do with it. And I knew enough, because I had all this information, I had extreme clarity, I knew what this life was. I knew about like love and joy and peace and pain. I knew all these things that Jesus promised over here. And I knew that I didn't really like my life. I knew I was fake. I knew I didn't really know what I was doing. I knew that the pursuits of a ruler, because I had plenty of plaques and trophies, I could win at stuff if I wanted to. I knew that stuff never really filled me up. It actually made me more hungry for the next thing. And I could see the folly in it, right? Because in high school, I thought the world began and ended in high school, and then I went to college and could care less about high school. In fact, I looked back and thought I was so dumb. The thing that was so important to me is so dumb and immature. And I, I did the math. I'm like, is that life? Is that what you do? So I knew what Jesus wanted. I knew what I didn't want. I had extreme clarity. And I, ready? By faith, I decided that I believed that Jesus was who he said he was. I accepted his story by faith. And I remember sitting there and I started to pray. And I said, God, if you can do something with me, I'm all yours. I want this to be true. I can do the math, I believe that it's true. And I am willing to let go. What's worth more than your soul? Well, not that stuff. And I accepted Jesus' salvation. I grew up in church. I accepted his forgiveness. I knew the Bible better than you did. And I accepted his grace and mercy. And I became a true follower of Jesus Christ in the middle of a soccer field by myself. There's a crisis, and that crisis is going to have an answer to it. And the answer that I chose was to believe in who Jesus is. So when Jesus looked at me, he's like, who do you, who do you, what about, who do you say I am? I'm like, you're the Christ, son of living God, man. What else, now that I know that, what else am I supposed to do but follow you? See, who am I to who is the clay to tell the potter what to do with my life? What else am I supposed to do but put my life under your direction? What else am I supposed to do but but to live a whole life instead of a fake one? Because you got really frustrated with these fake people in the Bible. See, it all clicked. Because there was clarity, plenty of information, there was choice. And then there was a crisis, and all of that, all of that is an act of love from a good God who came here to be with me. Guys, I don't know, um, I don't know all of your stories, I don't know all, I don't know if you're live in a facade or not, I have no idea to know that stuff. But I know that you can be rich, you can be young, and you can be a ruler, and you can be miserable. I know that you can be rich, and you can be young, and you can be a ruler, and you can fake it your whole life. I know that you can sit in church every week and fake it. I did. I never quit going to church. I would go to church hungover. I never quit going to church. I know that you can be rich and you can be young and you can be a ruler and you can lay at night and stare at the ceiling and wonder about your soul. I know that you can be rich and you can be young and you can be a ruler and you can be wildly insecure and full of anxiety and terrified that you're gonna be discovered. I know that. And I know that there's a God who came here to be with you. And the clarity was not given so that prosecution could be won. And choice was not given so that you could be trapped. And the crisis was not given as a punishment. All of that is given by a loving God who wants you to know him, who loves you enough to let you make the decision but who knows that you have to wrestle and answer that question. And what I wanna do this weekend is I wanna give you the space to interact with that God. So in a minute, I'm gonna pray, and the band, the band will come out here, and they'll, they'll move the stage around so we can transition. If you, if you have already accepted Christ and you want to be baptized, I sit up here in the front row, just come up and talk to me. I'll baptize you, the water's out already, I'll baptize you today. It's warm out, God even gave you a warm weekend, right? And, And I'm more than happy to do that. And if you have never lost your life and gained your soul, see. That's actually what baptism symbolizes. It symbolizes our death to self and our resurrection in Christ. That's that's what baptism is meant to show. I'm losing my life, I'm laying it down and I'm being resurrected with this new life that can only be given by Christ. So let's do this. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes and kind of give each other some, a little bit of privacy and the band will move things around. And let me just invite Jesus into this moment and then I'll ask you some questions, okay? So Jesus, in this moment, would you, so to say, join us? Jesus, in very personal ways, would you in your love and your mercy and your truth Would you press into our hearts on individual ways? And would you just be here with us right now? So here's my question to you. If you are somebody like that rich young ruler... And God has brought to mind whatever your version of the money is. And now you're in crisis. And Jesus in his his kindness and in his love is inviting you to this other life. It's one of the most terrifying moments of life because you are thinking through what do I have to lose? My image, my identity... Maybe it is your money. I don't know. But you do. If in this moment you're willing to lose your life, to gain your soul, this is what I encourage you to do. Your words, you don't need to repeat mine. Just talk to God. He only cares about what, what you mean. He doesn't care about how you say it. But in your words, ask Jesus for his forgiveness. Tell him the part of your life you're willing to lose. And commit yourself to him that he he would now define and direct your life. That you believe what he says about himself. You believe what he says about you. And today is the day that that clarity make a choice to satisfy that crisis right, Jesus and through your Holy Spirit empowering your word as you interact with us in these very personal ways right now God would you draw many to yourself give courage give faith give a sense of abandon just going for it Jesus you did that when you looked at your disciples said drop your nets come follow me when you call people this is is the gig God, it's, it's radical it feels edgy but it's really just what it means to follow you and so Jesus in these moments would you do that Jesus there may be others want to talk about that maybe you're drawing them to be baptized I don't know But God, just use this moment in a powerful and personal way. Thank you for being here with us. God, move in us even now.